series on RELATE. RELATE is the name of the church, but for years it's been an acronym as well. And so understanding this process of doing relationships God's way is, is what we're going to be talking about, what we have been talking about for a couple of weeks. And if you haven't tuned in or listened to the services the last couple of weeks or been here for them, I would encourage you to go back and listen to Mother's Day as well as last Sunday. Last Sunday we talked a lot about what's going on in our culture, um, the effects of AI and what that's going to do in our culture, um, <clears throat> making relationships priority is what God has for us to do. Um, if church should be about anything, it should be about relationship with God and relationship with each other. All right? Relationship with God and relationship with each other. So that's what we're teaching and that's what we're working on. And today, maybe you, sh maybe you come today and you've got a relationship struggle. Maybe it's with your parents or a spouse or a child is being an idiot and you don't know what to do with them. Or maybe you just don't know how to be a good parent. I don't know. But we're going we're gonna to give you some tools to be able to walk through this. Uh, relationships are the hardest part of life. And the easiest thing for us is to begin to set aside relationships and to start playing too much on this or this. And we can focus on that as opposed to loving the people around us. And so... I hope you grab something that's meaningful out of this series. All right, so the goal of this series, and honestly the reason for this church being here, is that you and I practice and implement God's way of doing relationships in our daily lives, getting on to true love. True love. What does true love look like? True love with God and true love with His people. So I don't know about you, but I think we need to come to a place where the bleeding has to stop in our relationships. The bleeding needs to stop in our homes. The bleeding needs to stop in our churches. The bleeding needs to stop in our communities. It's got to stop. And the farther we go down a path that denies the things that God has said, it takes for us to have good relationships in our lives, how to live our lives. The farther we go down a road that says, God, we're going to shake our fist at you because we're going to do whatever we want to do and we're going to declare it to be right. I don't know about you, but the farther we go down that road, and that's where we're going right now as a, as a community, as a nation, and as a world, the farther we go down that road, how many of you agree with me that it's getting worse? So the evidence is here. The farther we get away from God's Word, the farther we get away from applying God's Word in our lives and our relationships, the worse it gets. How far down do we have to go? So we can stop it right here. We place far too much trust. All right, so this is where we're going to start. We place far too much trust in our feelings and our own thoughts than we should. And before we know it, we've destroyed our relationships. We've destroyed relationships in our family, and we destroy relationships in our community, and in our church, and in our children, or with our parents. And, and we place far too much trust in our own thought processes and our own feelings. And the thing is, we've got to be careful because if we think or if we feel something, we feel like that makes it true. It doesn't, does it? 
So you look in the Bible, and there's story after story after story like this. Remember Cain and Abel? These were the first kids ever, right? And with the first kids ever came the first murder ever. Cain killed his brother Abel. Why? Because he got threatened. God came and said, hey, I like Abel's offering. His sacrifice is better. Why? Because Abel put his heart into it. Abel had relationship connected with it. And Cain said, well, what about mine? And God's like, well, his is better. You didn't hardly do anything with yours. And so Cain got really angry at Abel. He got threatened. And so what happened? He killed Abel instead of fixing it. And God begged him. He said, look, Cain, all you got to do is what's right. All you've got to do is what's right. And everything will be okay. Just make it right. But Cain didn't. So what did he do? He took out the competition. He said, well, now you're stuck with me, God. You're stuck with my offering, and whatever I bring to you, you're going to have to be good with, because now Abel is dead. So we have this all throughout Scripture where someone gets threatened, and they process it wrong, and they feel upset, they feel angry, they feel like they're slighted, and instead of dealing with the feeling or the fear in their lives, they go after the competition or they continue to attack somebody else. And that is what we've got to deal with. So, all right, so let's look at the RELATE acronym as we get started. R is reroute my thinking, and that's what we're going to talk about today. E is elevate others. That is, put others to the place that God has put them. All right, recognizing that others are in, in a relationship with God or others need to have a relationship with God and you need to treat them like they belong to God. So we'll talk about that next Sunday. L is list my threats. We're going to talk about the three threats. Did you know there are only three threats in this life? Three threats. So we're going to talk about those in a couple of weeks. And then A is accept my part. Accept my part. That looks like um, you saying, okay, this is my part in this situation. I can deal with this, now I can turn it over to God. Because your part is what? T, needs to be turned over to God. Your part is your sin, okay? And you need to be able to see that in your life. Listen, this is so freeing and healthy in your relationships. And once you turn to God from your sin, then it's good for you to have a community around you, which is E, enlist accountability, people that, that you can turn to and talk to about these things in your life. All right, so let's talk about rerouting my thinking. When you have a negative emotion, anybody ever have a negative emotion? When you have a negative emotion, instead of giving into it, you decide to go another direction. You reroute your thinking to seek truth and or just to forgive. So in other words, just because you have a feeling doesn't mean it's true. You need to vet what just happened, what he just said or what she just did. You need to vet what just happened because it's processed through your corrupt heart to protect you, and you may have misunderstood. It may not be something the way you think it was. And so looking to seek, find truth is, is the first step. Or, here's another option, just forgive them. Just forgive. Okay, I don't need to deal with that. I have more purpose in life than sitting around being angry at them. 
I've got meaning in my life, and I've got work to do, and I'm not going to sit around being angry with them. I'm just going to forgive them. I'm not going to hold on to that emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. Anyway, I just got to give them over to you. If they need to be dealt with, you're going to deal with them, and I give them over to you. That's called forgiveness. So you either seek truth or forgive. So, you're, listen, your negative emotions are never going to be truthful with you. Have you figured that out? When you have a negative emotion, it's not going to start spilling out truth for you. It's going to start telling you lies. When you get threatened, your brain and your body are ready for battle. And you're wired that way. In the military, they call this a state of readiness. You are always in a state of readiness. And there's a reason for it. There's called um, a, a selfish mode switch on you. Wouldn't it be great if we did have a dial that we could reach down and unselfish, selfish? That would be awesome. And we're stuck by default in selfish mode, and that selfish mode keeps us in a state of readiness, watching and looking for somebody to do something that might harm us, that might do something or say something that would take something from us, or you know the threats that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. All right, So we're always on edge. We're always looking for something that is going to harm us, and we've got to be careful with this. And we're always thinking about ourselves. I had a friend, a good friend, that said he used to have some really funny sayings. And one of his sayings was this, I may not be much, but I'm all I think about. (laughs) You see, the nature of what happened at the fall is we became self-aware and oblivious to everything else. We interpret the world around us based upon what we want, our needs, and what we desire. And we give our, and, and here's the problem also, we give ourselves way more credit than we deserve for thinking about others. We've got 24 hours a day, and we think about somebody for five minutes, and what do we do? Oh my goodness, I'm the most unselfish person in the world. You can't believe what I did for somebody today. And, and we've, we give ourselves way more credit than we should when it comes to thinking about others. All we think about is this, what I want, where I want to go, what I want to do, how I want people to love, how I want my loved ones to be safe, how I want to be safe, what I want to do with my life, what I want to eat what I want to accomplish and what I want others to accomplish for me, what I want others to think of me, what I want others to do for me, my goals, my dreams, my heart's desires. And then we listen to sermons, and that's what we hear is how we can get what we want. We read books, and that's what we read. How can we get what we want? How can we twist God's arm to give us what we want? And it's all about what we want, and we think about it all day long. That same friend of mine said this, I'm sure there are other people out there, and I'm sure they think they matter as much as me, but they're wrong. And here's something also. There's something in, in, in us that genuinely believes it's okay for others to do without 
so that I can have what I want. You don't believe me? Let's talk about how you drive for a minute. Well, let's talk about how I drove. I'm going to confess. One day, I was turning on to 380, and I don't know if you've noticed, but everybody's doing this. Everybody's seeing how we can get through as many people through a light as possible, even after it turns red, right? So on this particular day, I had justified that I don't need to slow down. The light is yellow, and I'm going to see if I can make it through that light. Yeah, some of you have done this. And as I approached 380, got to the line, boom, it turns red, and I'm still at full speed. And as I go through that red light, I come around the corner. There's a guy sitting here waiting to turn left. There's a line of traffic. And the guy got so angry with me, he brake-torqued it. He hit his gas and just... And I was, it was like everything went slow motion. You know, you hear a noise like that, and I'm like... And I look to my left, and the guy's face is like 15 feet from me. And he just stopped before he hit my car, and he's going... He had this horribly evil laugh. And he was so mad, you could tell... And I was like, and here's our first response. Man, that guy is crazy. What's wrong with him? He just scared me to death. You know, and I'm willing to label what he did. But I did it. I did it. It was my fault what happened. And here's, here's the thing. What happened here? My selfishness excused me. It excused me to do what I wanted to do. And here it is. Also, I took at least a second of those people's lives. What gives me the right to do that? Something down deep inside of us says, it's okay for me to have what I want and others can do without Ah, that hits hard, doesn't it? How did I know someone wasn't waiting in that line and had an emergency? How did I know that someone wasn't waiting in that line and they were trying to get to a job interview? And I decide that I can take their life, that I can take their time away. It's wrong. We have to be careful with what we do and how we treat others. Next time you pull in a parking lot, Lord, give me that front space. <laughs> when you pull in that space, you're also saying someone else is going to have to do without it. That's interesting, isn't it? That's a little bit different than what we hear preached and taught. When I pull in the parking lot, I pray, Lord, give me the best space in the parking lot. But that means someone else is going to have to do without. <clears throat> the battle begins with changing the direction of our thoughts. We've got to think different, folks. 
We've got to think differently. We've got to use our brains differently. It's a choice. So here's where we begin. Before I can deal with my problem, before you can deal with your problems in life, you've got to deal with how you feel about your problem. Because fear is not logical. And what you're dealing with is fear. Fear doesn't come with, up with logical solutions. Fear is, I'm going to protect myself. Fear is, I'm going to get what I want. That's fear. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be considered a selfish person. Do you? No. So selfish people, though, we can be this. We can be driven by fear. And when fear drives us, we become very self-centered, very selfish people. And all we think about is me, 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 me. I fear two things. There are two things that you fear in your life. I'm not going to get what I want or I'm going to lose what I've got. Those are the two things that you fear. I'm not going to get what I want or I'm going to lose what I have. I'm going to lose my spouse to someone else. You're afraid of that. Guess what? If you're afraid of losing your spouse to someone else, you're behaving best upon, based upon that fear. And it's probably going to be a self-proclaimed prophecy. Because why? You're not going to do what, it needs, what needs to be done in your spouse's life. Well, I'm going to lose my job. They're going to fire me. I don't, they don't think I'm good enough. Guess what? You're probably going to lose that job because of fear, because you're operating out of fear. You're trying to make yourself look better than the rest of the employees as opposed to you doing your part. You cannot operate in fear and keep the relationships that you need in your life. You've got to give your fears up and you've got to live free from fear. I'm not going to go where I want to go in my life. I'm not going to get where I want to get in a timely way. We've got to give these things up. I'm, not, I, I, I'm going to have problems when I get them. Listen, give up your fear and you'll find freedom. You've got to deal with your fear in life and you have to talk to yourself. What if you say to yourself as you're driving down the road and you're afraid that you're going to not get where you need to be? What if you said to yourself, you know what? I'm going to get there when I get there. And nothing I feel along the way is going to help me get there in time. I'm just going to relax and enjoy being in the car. Come on, we got great stereos now. We got phones. We can talk to people. I'm just going to, you can pray. You can talk to God. And you can establish that relationship better for today. And you can say, you know what? I'm just going to get there when I get there, and it's going to have to work out. I remember one time in Oklahoma City where I used to be on uh, staff at a church there. We had a well-known Christian author. He was flying in, and he was going to speak for us. And I had set everything up with him, and he, was, he had decided that he wanted to fly straight, and, or he, was, he was, wanted to drive straight from the airport to the church, and he was, he'd really set the times pretty close where he landed the plane, and he needed to get a car, and he needed to get to the church uh, very quickly. And he didn't want us to pick him up or anything. So, um, okay, that's great. So I gave him really good instructions. I, I mean, I had pictures for him. I had it all written out for him where... You email. This was before GPS and before iPhones and all of that stuff. Listen, a moronic alien from Jupiter could have re read the directions <laughs> I gave this guy. But what probably happened is he got threatened because he was running a little bit tight on his schedule. So when he got in the car and started reading through the instructions, he couldn't read what was, what was there. 
and it didn't make sense to him. So I'm sweating bullets. I'm standing at the front entrance of the church. Man, where's our speaker for tonight? You know, he's, it's like 20 minutes after services started. We're about finished with worship and all of that in there. So finally, he drives up, and when he gets out of the car, he is so mad. He's using every word that he couldn't use in other ways than he should <laughs> You understand, he wasn't cussing at me, but he was cussing at me. And, and he said, whoever gave me those instructions? And I'm thinking, man, I'm not going to tell him it was me. <laughs> so I helped him get his books all in there and everything. And here's, here's the thing. I was hoping that this guy had something, you know, for me to hear. I was hoping that I could hear something from this guy that would help me in some areas of my life. You guys have been there when you come to church. You're hoping that when you get to church that I'm not thinking about me. <laughs> That I'm thinking about what God wants me to say to you. And I was hoping this guy had some things for me, but it didn't happen. And I didn't even buy one of his books after I saw that fit. <laughs> so here's a question. What if he had just said, you know what, Lord? All of this is in your timing, and I'm going to trust that when I get to that church... I'm going to meet the right people and everything's going to be all right. Timing's going to be just fine. What if he had rerouted his thinking and got there? So rerouting your thinking is deciding to deal with the fear before dealing with the threat. Deal with the fear. Why am I afraid? Before you deal with the threat. And here's what I've found. Oftentimes, the threat isn't even real. Oftentimes, it only happened between my ears. Just a fear that my brain made up to protect me. So, let me show you what this looks like real quick. There are a lot of uh, studies about the brain that's out there. And um, did you know that your brain changes when you get threatened? It physically changes when you get threatened. So in the middle of your brain, there's a spot called, a group of components that is, called the limbic system. And the limbic system is the group of components that work together to look up what's going on around you to make sure that you're, you're protected. And it, and it picks up on any potential threat. What someone says, if you look across the room and there's somebody that you owe money to, boom, Limbic system kicks off, right? There's all kinds of things going on around you that the limbic system is looking to see, is this a threat for me? Is this chair going to hold me up? Am I safe? What's going on around the world? It's processing the math, trying to figure out, am I going to get this guy home safe today? Is this lady going to be safe all throughout this day? And it's looking for those threats. Your brain is constantly trying to figure out how to protect you. All right, everybody say limbic system. That's that group of components in the middle of your brain, and it's there, and it's working right now, okay? Uh, in the front of your brain, right here behind this hard-protected shell, is the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is so important because that is where your cognitive awareness is. That's where you think. That's where you process what you're thinking about. That's where you decide, where am I going to pull from the back of my brain information to be able to make a good decision based upon this threat? 
what kind of information am I going to get from the back of my brain? Where am I going to get it from? What memory am I going to use to, to try to make a good decision in this, in this process? So the, the, the prefrontal cortex is up here, and it's the only place where you can decide to put the brakes on what you're thinking in your brain where you can say, no, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to think about this. No, I'm not going to let that threaten me. Instead, I'm going to deal with why was I afraid when they said that or when they did that. I'm going to process this properly. That's the place in your brain where you can do that. In the back of your brain, you've got three things that I like to talk about. One is your memories the, another is your values, and another is your, your natural reactions in life. All right, so here's what happens. This is why this is so important. When you get threatened, when someone says something to you that you don't like, when something happens, you hear a noise, anytime you feel a negative emotion, this is what's happening. The limbic system kicks in, threat alert, threat alert, threat alert. And to whatever degree the threat was, the prefrontal cortex begins to shrink physically. The only place in your brain where you have the ability to decide what you're going to think about begins to physically shrink. And what they found is also, if you live long term with an extended, amount, an extended period of time with a threat in your life with the prefrontal cortex shrunk, it turns into depression. So if you don't deal with the threats in your life, the things that you're afraid of, the things that have happened in your life that have caused negative emotions in your life, if you don't deal with them properly, what happens is your prefrontal cortex is shrunk for an extended period of time and you end up with depression in your life. How many of you think this is a real problem in our community? So this is a big deal for you to be able to learn. So what we're teaching you in this series is how to process these threats, how to deal with the fears in your life, and it's so important. And here's what you need to know also. When the prefrontal cortex shrinks, the information in the back of your brain to be able to make good decisions in your life goes away. Have you ever walked up to a keypad that you've punched in the code a thousand times and suddenly you can't remember the code? This is why. Something happened that caused the prefrontal cortex to shrink, and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't remember the code. That's so important to understand that you cannot pull from your memories, and here's what's also important. You can't pull from your values. When I sit down and talk with a husband or a wife, and, or a husband and a wife, and they start telling me what happened last night, and he was like, she was, she was like, man, I thought he was going to kill me. <laughs> I say, sir, would you take a bullet for this lady, your wife? Absolutely. Well, then <laughs> why did she think you might shoot her last night? You know, what, what made her feel that way? Why were you willing to lay your values, how much you love this woman aside so that you could win this fight? So our values get laid aside. Our memories go out the window, and our natural responses kick in. And the way that you've always fought, the way that you've always communicated, the way that you've always ran from a fight, whatever it is, however you always respond to a fight or a situation where you're threatened, that's what you end up doing. 
And that's why husbands and wives, your fights always sound the same. And it always goes to, well, your mama's ugly and your dad does this. And, the, you know, it, it always ends up being the same. It's always the same. Because you ran out of words and your prefrontal cortex is shrunk and you're just in your natural way of doing things, all right? So our natural reaction to threats is rooted in fear. Fear. So we've got to learn how to deal with the fear. And when we get f afraid, we either fight, run into fight or flight or freeze. So we've got to deal with this. Let me ask you a question. What's the first thing an angel would say when an angel would appear to someone in the Bible? Yeah. Now, if we were to actually have heard those words, the angel would have showed up and been like, Ho, 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 don't, don't be afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid. You've got this thing called the prefrontal cortex. It's going to shrink if you get afraid. I'm not a threat to you. Everything's cool. I'm not going to kill you. Everything's fine. I know we look big and amazing, but don't be afraid. You see, God knows we've got this going on in our heads, and he wanted them to be able to hear. My dad used to always say, I'm so mad I can't think straight. You ever been there? I didn't understand that until I became a father. <laughs> and so once I understood that, and, and to look at this and understand that you can get so angry or so afraid, all of it is the prefrontal cortex, and it will keep you from being able to even hear what someone else is saying. You can't even hear them. I've never done a, a study on this myself, but we're told that in the Bible it says 365 times, don't be afraid. That's one for each day. God knows our brain is functioning like this. And what God has done through Jesus Christ, and this is beautiful, what God has done through Jesus Christ, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, what was he saying? I'm not a threat to you. I'm not a threat to you. I'm God. And you can hang me on this cross. You can threaten me with everything you want to, but I'm not a threat to you. Isn't that beautiful? And so God has removed all the threats that, it, that are there for him in our lives. And what God has done through Christ is just remove that. And we're going to learn about those three threats in a couple of weeks, but I want to read this to you. Romans chapter 8. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? And what Paul is dealing with here is the threats that people have with God. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture 
They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. What is he saying? He's saying you, as a Christian, have nothing to fear. You have nothing to be threatened by. And when people come at you like they did for Jesus, you need to remember what he did on the cross. He said, look, they can kill you, but guess what? You get to be in heaven. They can beat you up, but I'll heal you. They can do whatever they want to do in your life, but know this, I am for you, I am with you, and I pay attention to whoever does anything to you and you better believe that I'm going to take care of it God has brought the immense amount of security that we need in, into our lives and he says I want you if someone takes your if someone takes your coat give them your shirt too if someone slaps you on the cheek give them the other one what is he saying don't let people threaten you James David would you come and what is God saying here he's saying for us to change our lives based on this information. Change your life based on this information. What does that look like? Well, here's one. What they've found is that your brain needs quiet to most effectively solve problems. When you get threatened... Find a quiet place. Deal with the fear. What does the scripture say? Be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. And here's the key for us today. When you get threatened, you have one to two seconds to reroute your thinking before the prefrontal cortex shrinks. That's pretty quick. And you begin to lose your ability to put the brakes on what you need to be thinking about to make good decisions. And in your home, when your spouse comes in and walks in the room, and they see that you didn't do what they hoped you would do while they were gone, Instead of rising up in anger to fight back, relax. You see, this is change. I remember when I started doing this process myself. I was doing it for a couple of years before Angela picked up on it. She needed to see that I was changed. Finally, she started working through the process and letting me teach, her, teach it to her. And one day she was doing some stuff with one of the kids, a project for their school. And I said, hey, how would you like me to get something for dinner? How about some pizza? And she was like, ugh. And she got frustrated immediately because she couldn't eat pizza. I didn't know what she was dealing with at the time, but I didn't, I wasn't trying to threaten her. I wasn't trying to hurt her. I was trying to do something nice. 
And she got frustrated. I said, what's wrong? She said, you know what? I'm sorry. I know that you were trying. She rerouted her thinking. She said, I know that you were trying to do something nice for me. And I got threatened because I think you should know that I can't eat pizza. Oh. It immediately changed. The rest of the night could have been difficult just because I offered pizza. And it's so easy for us to ruin our relationships and to wreck friendships purely because we get threatened. Some selfish reasons we won't do this. We like to be offended. No, I don't, John. Yes, you do. We feel alive when we get offended. Secondly, we like to be a moral superior. I like to feel better than you. Third, I have relationships based on this kind of thinking. We get together just to talk about the morons in our lives. <laughs> and it's fun. And it's destructive. And fourth, it's work. We don't do it because it's work. Using your, your prefrontal cortex to think is work. What's 2 plus 2? 10 plus 10. What's 5,698 plus 4,455? And I guarantee he's wrong. <laughs> you see, we just laugh it off. We could do it. But what would you have to do? You would have to stop thinking about everything else and focus on those numbers and start doing the math and carrying. And you could do it. But it's work. And it's my right to not have to work. And my relationships should be easy. I shouldn't have to. I hear that all the time. My relationship with my husband or my relationship with my spouse should not be this hard. It's work. And when you get threatened, there's work to do. And it's in your heart and it's in your mind. And you got to use your brain to find truth or just forgive. So let's end with this. Should a relationship with God take work? Hey, I asked him to forgive me. I asked him into my life, and whew, that's great. What more do I have to do? I'm just going to live my life the way that I've always lived it. I've, I've asked him into my life. It shouldn't be that much work. Now listen, don't go out of here saying that I'm telling you, you work your way into salvation. But relationships are work. And if this is about a relationship with God, which it is, there's work to do. Okay, just making sure you guys are with me still. Jesus said, change your life for me. Because you love me. 
but I want, but I desire, but my goals, my thoughts, what I want. Jesus said, change your life for me because I really do know what's best. I know how I created you. I know where to turn you up, where to turn you down. I know how to tweak you. I know what you, I know what, I know everything about your life. And if you'll listen to me, I will make your life new. Uh, let me, let me, let's finish with this. Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you're trying to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And Jesus knows how meaningful your life becomes with him. And I'll, I'll read this. He says, this he, he says, I know how meaningful your life becomes because of me. Because look what he said. He said, are you listening, really listening to the people he was talking, talking to? He said, God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years, then accidentally found by a trespasser. The finder is ecstatic. What a find. And proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise money and buy that field. Or God's kingdom is like a jewel merchant on the hunt for exquisite pearls. Finding one that is flawless, he immediately sells everything and buys it. Jesus says, that's what a relationship with him is worth. That you would get rid of anything and everything. That you would give up any way of thinking, any way of doing your life, any goals and dreams and desires that you've got. That you would say, God, I give up it all because I want you in my life. Jesus says, I know that this is how important I am to you. And if you just listen to me and let me be what I can be in your life, it's worth giving up everything for. Would you bow your heads? Maybe today you've stumbled across that treasure. It's worth everything in your life to have. He's the pearl of great price worth giving up everything to have him. Would you talk to him right now? God, I want you in my life. I need you. I've tried everything else. Maybe I don't even need to try everything else. But today I decide. You're it. You're who I need. And so I give you my heart and life. Thank you for your forgiveness for my sin. Thank you for paying the price for that on the cross. Thank you that you love me and that I don't ever have to be afraid of you again. You removed the threats for me. God, I ask you to help me to grow in my relationship with you and to be a better husband, better father, better mother, better wife, better child, better parent, better friend, 
better church member, better person in the, in the community. I want to be better for you. And I repent of the ways that I've been wrong. In Jesus' name.